welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Acts is where we are. Acts chapter uh, 15, uh, verse 36 to 1610. We're in part 22 of this series. Um, so Acts chapter 15 towards the end of the chapter uh, is where we are this morning. Uh, sometimes it is difficult to keep on going. Would you agree with that? Sometimes it's difficult to keep on going. I was thinking that Wednesday night cutting my grass. I don't know if you've heard, but it's hot outside. Uh, today we uh, have been downgraded from an excessive heat warning to just a heat warning. So we're, we're making progress, but it's hot. But I just had to keep on going to finish the grass because if I knew I didn't finish the grass, it's going to grow again in two days. And sometimes our circumstances in life feel, leave us feeling this way as well, uh, whatever that might be. And we just have to keep on moving. And to be honest, sometimes our Christian walks feel a bit of that. It's hard. We're tired. It doesn't always feel like we're seeing progress and you're not sure that if you keep, that you can keep on going. And sometimes it is difficult to keep on going. William Carey was, maybe you've heard that name before. There's a university over in Hattiesburg called William Carey University. Uh, But William Carey was the father of modern missions. He took the gospel to the people of India And let me tell you a little bit about how difficult life was for William Carey. He said, I know it will be difficult, but if the church back in England will hold the rope, I will go to India. And let me tell you how hard it was for William Carey. Just a few things. Uh, For two years in India, William Carey got no mail, no communication from outside of where he was. During his first seven years, he saw no converts. After 19 years of labor, a fire destroyed his precious manuscripts of a multilingual dictionary, a grammar book of some of the languages that he had written, and 10 versions of the Bible that he had worked to translate. Along the way, William Carey lost two wives, his first one suffering with mental illness for a very long time. One of his sons died at a young age from dysentery, and he never went home For 41 years, even before he died, William Carey, because of changes that happened in the mission organization that he helped to found, he had to sever ties with that missionary society. I would imagine at times it was hard for those 41 years for William Carey to keep on moving. But when asked how he did it, here's what William Carey said. He said, if you give me credit for being a plotter, you will describe me justly. Anything beyond that will be too much. I can plod, he said. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. And to this, I owe everything. In a more modern way, Eugene Peterson said it like this, that the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. What William Carey is saying there, if we can plod, if we can keep moving and going forward, With a definite pursuit to this, we will owe everything. If we can continue in obedience in the same direction for a long time, we will see great fruit. Out of all the words to describe the first missionary journey in Acts, easy would not be one of those words. 
They experienced, Paul did in his first missionary journey, as we've already studied, they experienced great resistance, even from people like magicians, all the way to the religious. They were mistreated, they were stoned, and even at one time, Paul was dragged out of a city, presumed to be dead. They even had to deal with theological controversy that arose over the use of the Mosaic Law. All the while, doors were opening, people were being saved, churches will be planted. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if I'm Paul, that after my first missionary journey, after all I've seen and experienced and see the gospel grow, I'm about ready to write a memoir and spend the rest of my life living by the Mediterranean Sea, enjoying the fruits of my labor and kind of retiring from ministry after that. Maybe taking an occasional speaking engagement to tell people how to grow churches or something like that. But I think I'm going to take a break after that first missionary journey. But that's not what Paul did. He kept plotting along obedience in the same direction. That's what they say. We must keep going. They determined, it says in chapter 15, verse 36, now it's time to return to visit the brothers in all these cities that we've been to keep on plotting, to keep moving forward with this definite cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we transition into Acts chapter 15, at the end of that chapter there, we see that Paul is resolved to keep going. He's resolved to keep plotting. And here's what I want to challenge us with this morning. If we are resolved to plot along, to keep on going, even when it's hot, even when it's difficult, even when we don't know what lies ahead, if we resolve to keep going, to keep living on mission, what should we expect? What should we, what should we expect? If we are to keep going in that same direction. I have about eight things for you this morning. The first thing that I want you to know this morning, not all of them are long, so don't worry about that. The first thing that I want you to know what to expect as we continue to live on mission. If we are to live a life on mission, to keep plotting, to keep going, even when it's difficult. The first thing that I want you to know this morning is expect difficulty. Expect difficulty, namely what I want you to see before we get into the specifics of this passage. We're going to kind of take a a general view of this real quick. Expect difficulty, namely spiritual warfare. What do we expect when the spirit is moving? What do you expect when you are living since you can expect spiritual warfare to distract you and to seek to derail you from plodding along in a fruitful direction. We're going to see that as Paul begins this missionary. He's resolved to keep plotting, Acts 15, 36. He's resolved to keep living sent, to keep going. And we should expect difficulty. In fact, Jesus said as much. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul will go on to write. We prayed through it this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, we are to expect spiritual warfare as we live in this world. And so he says, put on the whole armor of God, this is Ephesians chapter 6, so that we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. Expect difficulty, expect spiritual warfare, expect the evil one to attack, and expect the evil one to attack strategically. The devil, we read in Acts chapter 6, he's a schemer. 
He knows your weak spots. He knows the hole in the armor. And he will shoot a fiery dart at you to set you ablaze. He's seeking to take you out, especially if you're living sin on mission. Especially if you're plotting in that long obedience in the same direction. He will attack. And he will do it strategically. He's a schemer, a wrestler, a destroyer. And in all of this, he is precise. And if we don't keep a sharp eye out for each other and for ourselves, if we don't have the shield of faith up, then those fiery darts will strike and set us ablaze as individuals and they can set churches ablaze. They can set missionary endeavors ablaze. One writer writes, the evil one is strategic. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 to be aware of the devil's schemes, of his tactics. He's wily, he's subtle, he's devious, and he tries to gain a foothold in our lives There's all sorts of ways that the devil seeks to gain footholds in our lives. And the Bible goes on to say, therefore, we must keep alert. So here's what I want. So expect the scheming. Expect spiritual warfare. Expect wily, subtle, devious, strategic attacks from the devil. So the Bible says, if we keep moving, we must stay alert. We must stay alert. Praying in the spirit, seeking to understand, being aware of the spiritual warfare that is after us. The church could have been derailed at the Jerusalem Council over that theological debate, with that dispute that arose. And now, as the missionary journeys go on, the church is threatened by another scheme of the evil one, to be derailed by... Not a theological dispute, but an interpersonal dispute. Interpersonal relationships are are about to be, be, be attacked. The evil one is scheming. So number one, expect difficulty. Namely, expect spiritual warfare. Number two, expect unity to be attacked. So expect your spiritual warfare. And particularly, watch out for this. That the evil one, the schemer, will shoot fiery darts at interpersonal relationships within the body of Christ. So number two, expect unity to be attacked. Let's go ahead and read it again. So they go to return, verse 37. They're going to go on this second missionary journey. That's where we are, the beginning of that. They're about to take the gospel all the way to Europe. And um, God's about to move in some mighty ways. Verse 37, now Barnabas... Remember the great encourager who wanted to take with them his cousin, John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to do the work. And there arose, here it is, a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. One place that the schemer loves to attack is unity. Here's what the Bible says about unity. Listen to some of these Bible verses. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You're going to see why the evil one wants to attack unity. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The presence of God among us as we live in peace. 
Paul writes, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love of one spirit and one mind. Again, the Bible says, live in harmony with one, harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. The Bible also says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If it is all possible, the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you're starting to see this. This is why the evil one, the schemer with spiritual warfare, would love to attack the unity of God's people and destroy interpersonal relationships. Why is unity so crucial? One, here's the purpose, so that... Where's this unity? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Do you think the evil one might want to shoot a fiery dart between people and burn the whole house down? Absolutely. And Jesus prays as much that they would be one so that the world will know that you sent me. So, so what is this rub here at the end of chapter 15 in Acts? We need to understand this because this is not an outright moral fair. This is not a theological dispute. That's not at all what's going on. This disagreement really is concerning the wisdom of who will go on this journey. Barnabas wants to take his cousin John Mark and Paul thinks it is best. So this is a matter of what is best. Not to take him. Paul thinks it's not best. Why? why? You heard his his problem here. John Mark abandoned us in Pamphylia. Now, now we don't know the reason that John Mark abandoned him for, for, for sure, but we know he did. And that did not sit well with the Apostle Paul. He was not happy about the fact that John Mark left them mid first missionary journey. Now, what happened? Did did he, get, did he get sick? Did John Mark get homesick? His mother was Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but Mary where the church gathered and had the, the great home in Jerusalem that was probably the base of operation for the early apostles. It was where they were praying when Peter was released from prison, you remember? Um, and he goes knocking at the door and they say, uh, oh, his angel is here. No, God has released him from prison just as you have prayed. Real failure, sort of ministerial failure. He just wasn't cut out for the job that Paul thought he needed on that journey. Paul isn't questioning his faith or even usefulness in, in the Christian world or for the church, but he doesn't think he's best for this mission. And so they disagree. And the Bible says this wasn't a light disagreement. This was a sharp disagreement. This was putting a dividing wall between Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas thought it was best to take John Mark, maybe because he was family. It was his cousin. I don't know. But it was likely the character of Barnabas. I love Barnabas. He was an encourager. He was the one we read about all throughout Acts that he was generous in selling a field for the church and giving all the proceeds to the church. He was there to welcome Paul and to vouch for his conversion when he went to the apostles in Jerusalem. He said, I know what Paul did, but Barnabas, the the encourager, said, This is true. He has been converted and he commends Paul to the apostles. That's what the person who Barnabas was. It was Barnabas that they sent down to Antioch to confirm that the spirit of God truly had fallen upon the Gentiles. And Barnabas says, yes, I see the grace of God here. He was a wonderful encourager. It was Barnabas who went to look for Saul, Paul in Tarsus. He was an encourager, a cheerleader, a humble servant who had no problem putting Paul forward, knowing that he would be effective for the spread 
of the gospel. And so it was likely that at the very least, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark another chance. Give him another chance. I think we saw a good picture of this. Um, it feels like three months ago, but Monday night. For like 30 for this whole College World Series. He's doing terrible. The night before, he committed a couple errors that really, you could argue, set the tone for the game. It, it, it was so bad that people on Twitter and social media are saying, what is this guy doing? Not thinking like this dude has been the shortstop for the number one team in the nation for the entire season. But, but the tide had turned on them. They were not happy with his performance. And, and were, were you listening to the crowd with, with what happened as, as he stepped to the plate for the first time in that last game? Did you hear it? The crowd got on their feet. They didn't boo him. The crowd got on their feet. They started cheering, and you could hear the crowd start chanting Jordan. And then he got a base hit, right, to start what would become a complete outpouring of runs for that game. He got the first RBI of that game, and he set the tone for that game. And who really set the tone? I think the fans of LSU who stood up and started clapping. And I'm going to tell you, when when that guy got a base hit, that was something. I wanted to come out of my chair, and I wanted to go to Omaha at that point because that was a magical moment. I think that's a little bit of what Barnabas was like. He sees someone who is coming on a hard time, and he's ready to stand up and say, give John Mark another chance. Who wouldn't want to with thinking about that? But Paul said, we don't think it is best. So who was right, Paul or Barnabas? I'm not sure who was right. Maybe they were both right, it seems like. We want to take sides and see who was right. But I think in both of this, that they stayed on mission. That there was an arrow, a fiery dart that was shot by. They put up the shield of faith. And so they resolved that we're not going to stop going on mission. But we're going to plot along. Okay, Paul, I'll take Silas. Barnabas, I'll take John Mark. We'll go this way. You go that way. And so now, Satan's plan back multiple teams around the world. Keep plotting and be thankful for his Grace, I, I don't know if there's interpersonal relationships that you need to work on right now, but know this, that the, the evil one will attack. And number two, the evil one will attack interpersonal relationships. These other points are a little, little shorter. The third thing I want you to know, so expect that. Expect him to attack interpersonal relationships. But in all this, stay on mission. Number three, expect God to give you fellow travelers along the way. Expect God to give you fellow travelers along the way. Even with this sharp disagreement, they didn't go about Paul and Barnabas as two lone wolf missionaries. Do you notice how God provided? There was another one named Silas. He provides John Mark with Barnabas, and and Paul picks up Silas. It's likely that Silas was much like Barnabas. We don't know that for sure, but there's there's some um, indication of that. It was Silas who was sent down to Antioch with a letter from the Jerusalem Council in order to encourage the church of what the Jerusalem Council decided at that meeting. So it was likely that he was another encourager. Some have speculated that if that is the case, this is just sanctified imagination, that it was, Paul, it was, it was uh, Silas excuse me, that got Paul singing in prison when they found themselves in prison later on. Perhaps he was an encourager much like Barnabas. We don't know, but expect God to give you fellow travelers Along the way, he provides Silas, and listen to this, verse six, chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby, so they go on their mission, 
We don't hear much about Barnabas anymore. The, the Acts is going to focus on um, Paul and, and, and that mission. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there, was named Timothy, who, who likely was saved on Paul's first missionary journey as his grandmother was saved and the, and the gospel was passed, the Bible says, from generation to generation. And Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So expect fellow travelers all the way. It was here now that Paul is with Silas and it's now that he picked up Timothy who Paul would later describe as a son in the faith. So maybe ask yourself the question. Maybe you've taken this for granted. What fellow travelers has God sent along your way? Have you noticed how God has sent you in directions that you never thought you would go? Maybe split up from different places or you've gone different ways or whatever it might be. I don't know. But if you expect God to send you fellow travelers along the way, as he does with Paul and Barnabas here, I wonder if God's putting fellow travelers in your way and you're not recognizing that. You need to thank God for those. So expect spiritual warfare. Expect warfare is particularly on unity. Expect God to put fellow travelers in your way and expect God to put fellow travelers back into your life. Because this is not the last we heard of John Mark. We, Paul writes at, at the end of 2 Timothy, the, the last letter that he wrote. Uh, do you remember this? He says, John Mark is of much use to me. Send me John Mark. And so this means in this moment that it's one of the most beautiful lines in all the Bible, I think, because it shows us the restoration that happens between Paul and, and John Mark. And so I think that tells us something, that God puts fellow travelers in your way. And even when those fellow travelers go and diverge in different directions, um, don't burn bridges because God has a way of restoring. God has a way of bringing people back in your life and not only bringing them back in your life, but making them very useful in your life. Maybe people you don't even expect to be in that way. Expect God to put fellow travelers in your life and even expect and anticipate God that maybe he will put that fellow traveler back into my life after restoration. Number five, the fifth thing I want you to know is expect to live sacrificially. So he picks up some fellow travelers in verse 3 of chapter 16. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in numbers daily. Those are the fifth thing that I want you to know as the enemy attacks, he attacks relationships, but he gives you relationships and he restores relationships is the fifth thing is expect to live sacrificially. And here's what I mean by that. What happens with Timothy, Paul decides to circumcise Timothy as they go on this missionary journey. The first thing I'm thinking of, uh, didn't Paul read Acts chapter 15 that you do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Is he undoing the very things that happened at the Jerusalem council? No. What's going on here is Paul's not saying, Timothy, you must do this to be truly saved, but we are going into Jewish areas and it would be best, just as it was best for John Mark not to come with me, it would be best for you to go through this ceremonial rites in order that we might not be a stumbling block to the Jews. And so if we're going to plot along and we're expecting all of these things, something else we need to expect 
is to live sacrificially. Here's what I mean. We must find ways to tear down walls and not build unnecessary walls. We must find ways to put our preferences away, not not, not in the case of orthodoxy. I'm not saying change the truth, but things that are merely preference to not major on the preferences so that people might know the gospel. And this means when you live sent, you will find yourself needing to lay aside personal preferences in order to win people. It means it will be costly. It will cost you time. It will cost you exhaustion. It will cost you money. But keep on plotting sacrificially because it is Worth it. When I think of living sacrificially, um, I think of a time we were in Southeast Asia. Uh, me and my wife were there together, but on separate mission teams at that time. This was before we were married. And they came upon a village um, where some people invited them into their house and, and they were going to give them something to eat. And what they offered them was this, how she describes this, uh, this gray lump of flesh of some sort that came from a, a cupboard. And so they bring this lump of flesh out and they cut it off and uh, cut, cut a piece out and let them eat it. And it turns out it was a cured pig liver. And so sometimes we have to eat things like pig liver, things that we would prefer not to eat in order that we might not be a stumbling block for the gospel. Expect to live sacrificially. Number six, expect the spirit of Jesus to lead you. You notice as they go on, we'll talk about more of this next week. They went through several regions and the Bible says that they were prevented, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then it goes on to say that they attempted to go to another direction, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Not only do we expect to live sacrificially, we need to expect the spirit of Jesus to lead us. Now, how did the Spirit restrain them? The Bible doesn't tell us here. The same way it doesn't tell us why John Mark particularly abandoned the mission. We don't know. But we know the Spirit was guiding. The Spirit stopped them from preaching at that place, stopped them from going in that other direction. Was it through the removal of peace? Maybe. Maybe they just felt uneasy about it. Maybe. That's how God often directs our day-to-day lives. Or it's possibly that it was through these circumstances or maybe there was a transportation problem or an illness, something that had happened to them that caused them to say, we are not to go that way. Some speculate it was an illness because we read, this is just a little fun side note, that Luke begins to write, look at Acts 16, verse 10. Maybe you want to circle this. He says, when, when Paul had seen a vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. So this is where Luke is now firsthand on this mission now, where he's just been recording before. He's firsthand now in Acts 16.10. So some think Luke is a physician, so maybe that's where Luke comes along because some illness prevented them from going. So Luke, the physician, comes along. I don't know. That's other sanctified imagination. Either way, the Spirit led them to go in a certain direction. So what does this mean? That means... When we wake up in this mor- every morning, we need to be asking God's Spirit, where are you leading? Who are you calling me to go to? If we live on mission, we have to expect for the Holy Spirit to guide us and then to listen where he guides us. The final two things. This is a quote from William Carey. So we've seen six, how many things, six things you're following along, Right? Spiritual warfare, unity, fellow travelers, fellow travelers come back in. 
sacrificially. Um, we, we see that, we see the Spirit of Jesus lead us. In the late 18th century, we'll finish, we started with William Carey, we're going to finish with him. He preached what would ultimately be an incredibly influential sermon in which he challenged his hearers. Here's what he says. We've been talking about expectations, right, of plotters, right? Here's what he says. Expect great things from God and to attempt great things for God. That's our final two points. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Carey's challenge was aimed at rousing the church of his day from its complacency, complacency, at least in regards to foreign missions. He saw it, the fact that Christians were not attempting great things for God indicated that they were not expecting him to do great things in and through them. They well may have known that God was able to do far more abundantly than all they asked or thought, but they were obviously not expecting that he would actually do so in a point of fact. Their actions, or more accurately, their lack of actions, show that they believed that they were living in a day of small things. And that is why Carey's sermon challenged them to think bigger and to expect more from God. He knew that if and when they did, they would begin to step out in faith and take risks for the cause of Jesus Christ and to keep plodding along. Carey said that if we are to keep plodding along, and I think this is biblical, that we ought to not only expect all of these six things that we listed, listed, we also must expect God to do great things. That must be an expectation, not only that it would lead the roots of the resurrection, and he's raising people now, and for those of us who in Christ, we are a new creation, and we are driving to the day when all things will be made new. We are plotting in a definite direction. We're going somewhere. And along the way, there's a lot that we need to expect and ready ourselves for, but perhaps in everything, we need to expect God to do great things. And therefore, final point, we expect God to do great things. We must attempt great things, driven by that resurrected Christ. And Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 25 of it's the parable of the talents is what the Bible calls it. There's three people that have been given resources by their master, and two of them use those resources in a productive way. They expect great things from their master, so they invest their resources and end up doubling their earnings. And then there's a third servant who has an aversion to risk-taking, and so he receives some money from the master, and he buries it. He saves it, and he's able, when his master comes back, to say, I saved your money, but the master is not pleased. It's a very perplexing parable. But I think what happens in Matthew chapter 24 in the parable of the talents is that third servant had an expectation problem. He wasn't expecting great things from his master. The Bible says he was expecting harshness from his master, whom this third servant expected. What are we doing with the resources that God has given us individually and even as a, as a whole? Do we expect God to do a great things and then are we attempting great things for our God out of the strength that he provides, knowing that all of this is going somewhere to a definite conclusion of eternity, of life spent with him 
in a new heavens and a new earth with our resurrected Christ. So last question, what do you expect? What do you expect? You expect warfare, attacks on unity, expect sacrifice, but expect God to do great things far more than we could ask or think. And so let's attempt great things, no matter the trials. And what if the greatest days of God's moving were in the future and not in the past? What if the gospel is still advancing and lives were still being changed? What if our Christ was resurrected and ascended and ruling and reigning over all? He is doing all of that. So what will we attempt this week? Let's pray.